would invite you to turn in your pew Bibles to Malachi chapter 4. It's on page 802, and uh, it's the very last book of the Old Testament, a vital book, and uh, this is a... uh, a vital chapter as well, Malachi chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, and uh, we'll be reading through the end of the chapter through verse 6, a short but a, a powerful chapter of God's truth. Hear the word of God, Malachi 4, verse 1, for behold, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming. That the day is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Amen. To this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word, uh, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand through the ages. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, uh, your word is that lamp unto our feet, that light unto our path to lead us to Christ. And uh, pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be uh, shedding light, uh, not only on the truth of your word, but shining in our hearts, Father. May we be faithful diligent hearers of your word, and as well, um, faithful doers of your word. All for your glory and praise, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Dr. Stephen Nichols, who is uh, now the president of Reformation Bible College, uh, associated with Ligonier Ministries, Uh, he's also a lecturer in church history He tells a remarkable story of Christmas hope, a joy and peace that took place with the Christmas truce of 1914 uh, during World War I. And he writes in this article, you can find it in Table Talk, he writes, and I quote, History tells us that the Western Front, only a few months into the war, was a deplorable scene of devastation, Uh, but a truce was called from Christmas Eve through Christmas Day. As darkness settled over the front like a blanket, the sound of exploding shells and the rat-tat-tat of gunfire faded. Faint carols in French or English voices on one side and in German voices on the other rose to fill the silence of the night. 
Uh, By morning, soldiers at first hesitantly began filing out of the maze of trenches into the dreaded and parched soil of no man's land. Uh, There was more singing. Gifts of rations and cigarettes were exchanged. Family photos were passed around. Soccer balls appeared. Up and down the Western Front, soldiers who only hours before had been locked in deadly combat now faced off in soccer games. Uh, For one brief but entirely remarkable day, there was peace on earth. Some have called the Christmas truce of 1914, uh, quote, the miracle on the Western Front. Anxious to print some good news, the Times of London reported on the events of the Christmas truce. Soldiers recorded the day in letters home and in diaries. Some of those lines made it into newspapers, while others remained unknown until later brought to light. Here's one such line from the diary of a German infantryman. Quote, the English brought a soccer ball from the trenches, and pretty soon a lively game ensued. How marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. The English officers felt the same way about it. Thus Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. End of quote. Uh, But Dr. Nichols goes on in this uh, wonderful article, but after Christmas Day of 1914, uh, the soccer balls were put away and the soldiers went back into the trenches. The Christmas carols subsided and the war carried on. And even though World War I eventually ended a few decades later, Europe's countryside and cities became the field of battle once again as did Africa and the Pacific during World War II. You know, why tell this story? Um, in the Christmas truce of World War I, we, we do see a brief peace, uh, a few fleeting joys uh, for one day before the bloody battle started again. And so contrast, you know, that that temporary peace, sweet as it was, but a temporary peace, that Christmas truce of 1914, you know, with a lasting, indeed an everlasting promise of Christmas joy and peace in Christ here in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. You know, hear it again. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Here we learn this from God's word, that our Christmas joy rests on the gospel certainty of Christ's gracious righteousness. Well, how can we know that continual Christmas joy in Christ? Six short verses, but uh, uh, five bullet points here. Readiness, righteousness, reckoning, remembrance, and finally restoration. Uh, We begin with a a word about readiness. We, We are to be ready for the coming day of the Lord. You know, as you can see, Malachi is the, the last book of the Old Testament, the, the last 
prophet, you know, of the minor prophets. Book, they believe, was written somewhere around 460 B.C., before the birth of Christ. Remember, God's people had returned from exile. Uh, The temple had been rebuilt, but it was not a glorious temple like Solomon's temple. There were serious spiritual issues. As you read through Malachi, uh, there was corruption in the priesthood, complacency in worship, neglect. Neglect of tithing to the Lord, there was widespread divorce, social injustice, uh, just to name a few. And when uh, that book of Malachi closes, there are 400 years of silence uh, between Malachi and before Christ is born. Matthew's gospel, Mark, Luke, and John. And so God's word here calls us to be ready for behold, we read there in verse 1, the day is coming. You know, what day is it talking about here? It's the, it's the day of the Lord. Uh, the day of the Lord is a dread day for unrepentant sinners, yet for believers, a day of grace and salvation. And so for believers, those who are trusting in Christ, it ought to be a joyful day. Uh, You see this in in the prophet Joel, but then Peter in his first sermon on the day of Pentecost there in Acts chapter 2 quotes from Joel preaching on the day of the Lord. Acts chapter 2 verse 20 and 21 we read, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood uh, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, the day of the Lord is coming, but it is burning like an oven. You know, it, it speaks a, a note of God's holy judgment upon unrepentant sinners. In fact, here it says arrogant on all the arrogant and all the evildoers. That, that's one group, those who are proud, those who are unrepentant. Um, for their sins will experience, they will experience God's burning wrath against the wicked. You know, that, that judgment of God will be so intense when the Lord sets them ablaze that it says it will leave them neither root nor branch. You know, all the way down to its roots and all the way up. You know, here the Lord... In fact, Scripture calls, says, the Lord of hosts, the Lord who's commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven. You know, here the Lord calls all his hearers to be ready for the coming day of the Lord. It's a holy warning, and indeed we could call it a gracious warning. You know, think of it this way. You know, for those teens who have recently taken their driver's test, had to study the manual, um, you know, one of the things you have to learn is all the different shapes of the signs and all the different colors of the signs. And uh, if you're unfamiliar, I refresh my memory, there's a a yellow, uh, they call it a diamond-shaped sign, and it's a warning sign. You know, on these warning signs, it'll tell you things like, you know, 
you know, bridge may ice uh, in cold weather, or it may tell you that um, a stop sign is coming ahead, or, or then again, uh, it'll show you that uh, there's merging traffic. Why do they warn you? Uh, so that you can, you can have a, a foreknowledge of what's coming. You can be prepared and, and take the right action, stay safe. You know, if that's true with uh, driving, even here on the roads of Louisiana, how, how much more is it true in God's word? You know, the, the Lord wants us to be ready uh, for the coming day of the Lord. And then verse 2, the, uh, you know, hear God's word graciously teaches us about righteousness. You know, there's, there's a comfort uh, to Christ's righteousness. This is the, the key verse. Uh, we'll be lingering here a, a little bit longer, but, you know, hear it again. A, a verse well worth memorizing. Uh, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in, in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You know, let's take it uh, phrase by phrase. Uh, you know, literally it says rise or will rise the son of righteousness. It's a promise of a new day of gospel hope and joy uh, for God's struggling ones. You know, the son of righteousness. Some versions of the Bible and in hymns that we sing, uh, son is capitalized, you know, because it plainly refers to Christ. Christ is that son of righteousness. But you think of a son, as I told the children, that, that great radiance, that resplendent glory of the son. C.S. Lewis put it this way in a, uh, um, uh, a work he had in uh, The Weight of Glory. You, you might have heard it, uh, quoting C.S. Lewis, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the son has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. You know, it's a son of righteousness here. And you see that throughout Scripture without an exhaustive study. Let me give you a few scriptural examples. We, we saw it back in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 4. The last words of David, 2 Samuel 23, verse 4. He, that is the God of Israel, the rock of Israel, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Uh, we read it again in our responsive reading, Psalm 84, verse 11. Uh, Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You know, the, the emphasis, though, is not on sun, but the emphasis is on that word righteousness. You know, it's not just the sun, spectacular as that might be, but, but on the righteousness of Christ. You know, you know, pause for, for a minute. Think about that. You know, what's scripture telling us here? You know, that, that we as sinners, you know, can come into the presence of a holy God, you know, because of the righteousness of Christ. 
were accepted because of the righteousness of Christ. You know, take it a level deeper. You know, it speaks of justification. You know, God declares us righteous. And then again, you know, salvation. You know, here, here is that hope of salvation. You know, God is a righteous God, but he credits his righteousness to us in Christ. It's a whole different set of glasses as you look at uh, titles for Christ, especially at uh, this Advent season, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. You know, for unto us a child is born, all of those verses. And Isaiah 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this and and so that son of righteousness is Christ you know and as we then you know in God's providence uh, we were lighting the advent candle the Roy family was lighting the advent candle today the candle of light you know because because of what Christ declared. John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So there's a, a... Comfort, and if we if we think at this point, well, preacher, I'm not yet swayed about uh, that that comfort in the righteousness. Look what's next: the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. You know, think think of the rays of the sun. This is Scripture's way of of describing the rays of the sun that radiate out from the sun as as wings. Uh, visible, tangible. You know, the wings of the sun are the rays by which it is surrounded, is one explanation, Kyle and Delich. Uh, So the sun of righteousness, that is Christ, brings comfort, peace, and restoration. You know, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And yes, I believe Physical healing is implied here, but but what's the primary healing that we need? You know, it's the fact that uh, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. You know, think of the the gospel account, and if you're reading through Luke's gospel, it was there in, in Luke chapter five, uh, where uh, that that paralytic man was lowered down. Remember, they cut a hole in the roof and his friends lowered the paralytic man down before Jesus. You know, and and what did Jesus declare to that paralytic man? What was the first thing that Jesus declared? Your sins are forgiven. We read this. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? Uh, Verse 22 of Luke 5, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. You know, what, what's the primary healing that, that we need? You know, it's, it's spiritual to know our sins are forgiven in, in Christ. You know, because of the, the righteousness of Christ. You know, and that's why we're, we're joyfully praising God. And uh, take it one step further, if that's not enough, the, uh, the, in God's word here, son of righteousness shall rise, healing in its wings, and then this wonderful expression, leaping like calves from the stall. You know, spent a little time out on the farm, first two churches, had dairy farmers, and uh, you, you know what happens. You know, calves have been penned up for a while, they're feeling frisky or hungry, Want to go out to the green grass? You you open that stall door. You know you you don't have to invite them to to go out. I mean they, you know they're they're leaping. I guess lambs gamble. I'm not sure what uh, calves do. And and that's a picture of the joy that that comfort of God's righteousness. That that joyful release from bondage to sin. You know, there's a line. We should have sung the the Christmas hymn uh, this Sunday. Wasn't thinking ahead. Hark the herald angels sing. It's 203 uh, there in our Trinity hymnal. Let me read just one verse. Hail, and hail is another way of saying praise. Hail the son of, hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Next, hail the son of of righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. You know, God graciously gives us real comfort and joy in the righteousness of Christ. It leads us to praise our Savior. You know, third truth here is reckoning. So we not only see a readiness and a righteousness, and now we'll pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, verse 3, there, a day of reckoning, a, a day of judgment. Uh, there's a conquest of wickedness. Already in verse 1, we've seen the burning like an oven, uh, that it will leave neither root nor branch. It picks up that theme in verse 3. And you, here speaking to Israel, to God's people, you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes, or we could say already ashes under the soles of your feet. If you're wondering who's going to win the day, will wickedness win the day? Here God's word says, no, no. As my redeemed children, you will tread. There'll be ashes under the soles of your feet. Why? On the day that I act, the day that I'm working, the day I'm preparing, says 
the Lord of hosts. Reformation Study Bible gives this helpful note about uh, this, these set of verses. Quote, the prophet's ministry is to light the lamp of faith in a disheartened people by reminding them of God's selecting love. You know, we live in a wicked world, you know, and it's easy to be dismayed, discouraged. Who's, who's going to win the day? You know, and God, God already tells us the outcome here. You know, there, there is a day of reckoning. The, the wicked will be conquered. You know, in their hope for receiving extravagant gifts, easier workloads, bonuses, our children, employees, students, workers, all try to be on their best behavior uh, before Christmas. I don't like that naughty and nice list. Uh, But note here, you know, that, that God calls us to faithfully labor with him. You know, to, to savor his sure victory over wickedness. You know, we can tread on the wicked as we rest in the Lord's triumph over sin and death in the grave. And so it rightly is a joyous conquest. Fourth, it's... it's It's gospel joy because of remembrance. There, verse 4, a call to faithful obedience. Now, keep in mind, we're we're in the last book of the Old Testament, last chapter. And so here, God's word calls us to look back. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Striking that the Lord says, remember the law of Moses, my servant. You remember Moses murdered an Egyptian. You know, God called him to be a spokesman and Moses, I don't know whether he shook his head, you know, but said, no, God, you know, don't, don't send me, you know, send my brother. Yet Moses was the one who spent time alone with God on Sinai. God graciously gave him the two stone tablets with the Lord's law, his statutes and rules for all of Israel. You know, so the Lord again calls his people to faithful obedience. You know, again, you know, we're not saved by our works. You know, we're we're not saved by our obedience to God's law. But it's, it's a fruit of our faith in Christ. You know, if we love the Lord, then we're going to live by God's gracious, holy commands. You know, may we as followers of Christ remember God's law. You know, why? It convicts us of sin, and that's a good thing. It always calls us to faith in Christ. You know, but there is a third use of the law as well. It's God's gracious guideline for our conduct. You know, I'm, I admit I'm a bit overdue, uh, but on a regular basis, I, I test myself uh, to see if I can remember all Ten Commandments in order. You know, at this stage of the game, why? Maybe I'm becoming a little bit anxious about Alzheimer's or scared of senility. You know, do I still have that gray matter up there? 
you know, but I would, I would encourage you, and you can encourage me, you know, n- know God's commands. And, and more importantly, know God's word. Read through all of the Bible. Read through all of the Old Testament and New Testament. It may take some time, but don't despair. Persevere. You know, this call to faithful obedience. And, and finally, uh, a work of restoration. So we see those truths of readiness, of righteousness, of reckoning, of remembrance, and finally a restoration. There is a certainty of gospel healing. Verse 5 now of Malachi chapter 4. The Lord now has the last words in Malachi, thus in the Old Testament. And we all know that final words are important words. God promises Israel, promises us, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Elijah, used of the Lord to raise the the widow's dead son. He rebuked wicked King Ahab, defeated the prophets of Baal there at Mount Carmel. A fearless reformer, a man mighty in prayer. And here Elijah the prophet, you know, and without going into every last detail, it's pointing us ahead to John the Baptist. And why can we say that? It's because Jesus himself tells us that it points ahead to John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 11. Jesus speaking, Matthew eleven eleven. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And as you read through the Gospels, what was the ministry of John the Baptist? You know, two, calling God's people to repentance, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, and then pointing us to Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so even here, uh, God's word in Malachi is pointing us ahead to John the Baptist, and who points the way f- to Christ. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. I believe there at the great and awesome day is not so much referring to Christ's incarnation as to his death for our sins on the cross, or Christ's second coming prophesied even here in Malachi chapter 4 and the work of restoration and he will turn cause to turn or it can be understood and he will restore the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers you know at the very least we can say you know that it's God's glorious gracious design to restore families And where does that begin? It begins with fathers. 
but restoring the hearts of fathers to their children and as well the hearts of their children to their fathers, both ways. That's what, why we can be joyful because of that glorious gospel work of restoration, restoring families, restoring churches and homes and marriages, centering them on Christ. But then a gracious warning, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. You know, is God serious about these commands, uh, this call to be resting on Christ for our salvation, for our gospel joy? Indeed. A holy God calling his people to faithful obedience, uh, to loving trust in God. As you've already witnessed, uh, the Second Advent candle was lit this morning by the Roy family. The Hodges lit uh, the one last Lord's Day. You know, that candle of light. You know, and oh, how we need light in this dark world around us. The light of Christ. The righteous light of Christ. The Son of Righteousness. And so it's my prayer uh, for all of us, for our community, uh, for the world around us, that uh, we would know that real joy at Christmas. And not just a one-day Christmas truce, but eternal joy, unending joy, overflowing joy, because of Christ's gracious righteousness. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Very God of very God, begotten, not made. We thank you for your gracious covenant of redemption that planned from all eternity, Father, to send Jesus Christ uh, to die for our sins on the cross of Calvary. Lord, we thank you for the righteousness of Christ, but we thank you as well for that assurance of redemption, salvation that we can know by grace through faith in Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.